You're at the Coaching Inn, 3D Coaching's virtual pub where we enjoy conversations with people who are engaged in the world of coaching. Hello Great. and welcome to this week's Coaching Inn. I'm Claire Pedrick and today I am delighted to have as my guest Catherine Sinjin Brooks for many, many reasons. One is <laughs> that I've heard of you for the longest time and we've never actually met, I don't think. Um and many other reasons that will emerge. Catherine, welcome. Thank you very much. So lovely to be here. And I'm I just loving the pub background to your to your Zoom call. It's wonderful. Thank you. Well, we like to make it as real as we can. <laughs> so you are known uh, in the world of internal coaching. That, and, that's a very nice thought. And and you're an aspiring novelist. And you kindly let me read the draft of your book, which is amazing. It was so kind of you. I, I, I massively appreciate when anybody says, oh, and I'd be up for reading your, <laughs> reading your, your novel because, um, you know, what you can change it at any point. And I'm revising it all the time, even though it's out on submission to agents at the moment. That doesn't stop me changing anything at any point. And, um, you know, the whole point of feedback is to improve improve things so why wouldn't one want to get lots of feedback and it's so, a novel about a coach it. it's a novel about <laughs> a coach and it's in my favorite genre genre how do you say that yes genre indeed so you're I mean my go-to has always been thrillers um yeah. I must say I mean I read English at university so I'm, ah. I'm capable of reading something that requires more thought but I do actually love reading thrillers <laughs> who are your favorite who are your favorite thriller writers Claire uh, so I am the person who cannot watch the film of any of their favourite books because I'm disgusted by the film. I yeah. love the writing. Yeah. So Kathy Wrights, Karen Slaughter, mm. Lee Child, you know. Yes, I love Lee Child as well. Harry Which is Lepina. crazy, really, you know, because Jack Reacher never really develops as a character at all. No. You know, and one of the advice you're given is, you know, that your character should definitely have learned something by the end or be very different at the end than they are at the beginning. And that change is what what you're looking for in the development of a story in a novel. And Jack Reacher is the same at the beginning as he is at the end. I, d I don't remember him changing much. Do you? <laughs> no, no. And I, in fact, I've been having some really interesting conversations about my preference for those kind of books because... I never compare, I can't tell you my favourite Jack Reacher novel is this and my least favourite one is that. I just love reading the next one. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then I can't remember what it was about. Yeah, no, I'm exactly the same. I just, I just race through them and, and, and retain, retain fairly little, but enjoy the process. Exactly, exactly, which is why it's so funny. Because when you asked me for feedback on on your book, uh, we'd been on holiday in Spain, and I'd read your book. I'd finished your book on the plane, which was just fabulous. And then, but then I'd read three more by other people. Yes, and they so, all merged into one. Yes. Well, they sort of didn't. But you asked me some really specific questions, and I'm going, well, I can't remember that. <laughs> exactly. I know. I should have said. If you can give me feedback immediately after, that would be particularly good. Yeah. Um, no, it was very helpful what you gave me. So thank you very yeah. much for that. I'm always your... It's yeah. a real pleasure. So you're also known for 
for internal coaching. But let's just find out a bit about you first, Catherine. You the you the mm-hmm. human and you the coach. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your journey into the coaching space? I was doing a master's, I think, at the time in the early 2000s. I was in a kind of training space at that point. Uh, and I just finished doing um, something like 30. Um, it was it was qualitative research. I'd done 30 interviews with people around my research question. And when I'd been and I was asking them, they were senior civil servants. And I was asking them about whether they ever got any training or development, uh, which in those days they hardly did. Mm. Um and while I was trying to stick to a sort of um, semi-structured interview process, they just kept going into spaces about how miserable they were and how they were deciding, you know, couldn't decide whether to resign or not, or or that they were having a horrible time at the moment because they got a real issue with their boss or whatever it was. And I kept thinking, oh, I'd love to go down that particular rabbit hole with them, but then dragging them back to my semi-structured interview questionnaire, which said, you know, wasn't on those sorts of topics at all. And... About three weeks later, I was having lunch with a friend who was training as a coach at INSEAD. And I actually was pretty unsighted on coaching then. It was 2002, I think. And um, I just thought, oh, gosh, you know, to, to make your living through interesting conversations and helping people to get to where they want to go. You know, what could be more wonderful than that? Because it was just what I'd been wanting to do during these interviews from from my research and hadn't been able, you know, I didn't have the locus to go there. Mm. And suddenly realising that you could have a career where you did have the locus to go there was just utterly brilliant. Um, and so right then I started um, researching coach training. And there wasn't a massive amount of it around in those days. Okay. You know, it was pretty much... Um, what was it? I mean, it was OCM, who was in the Oxford School of Coaching and Mentoring, the so CIPD, who actually used the Oxford School for their um, content anyway. Uh, and there was Miles... Um, there was Miles London, Downey. Yeah, Miles School Downey. School of Coaching. Exactly. That was about it, really. Oh, the Academy of Executive Coaching as well. And so I went and did little tasters at all of them, and in the end decided to do the CIPD because it was based in London. I would have probably done the Oxford one otherwise, but I didn't want to have to drag myself to Oxford and back each time. So I did the CIPD one. And of course, coach, uh, the training in those days was so basic compared with what it's like now. Mm. Really basic. Uh, and of course, because it was run from the Oxford School, Eric Parslow's, well, you know, God rest him, but his... But his um, his mantra was was kiss, keep it simple, stupid. And when you ever said anything like, could you recommend any any interesting books or articles? He, he would say, oh, we don't believe in research. <laughs> it's just practice. You know, it's practice, practice, practice. And there's a lot to be said, obviously, for the practice side of things. And we did triad work till it was coming out of our ears. Um, and it was brilliant, you know, and I massively enjoyed it. But it was Looking back, it was terribly basic. And most of what I learned was actually subsequently in CPD, because I then became a groupie for the Academy of Executive Coaching and did, you know, their psychological approaches to coaching and their six week gestalt coaching and, you know, all sorts. And yes, I became um, 
a real um, groupie for them, actually. Um, oh, and then um, John Leary Joyce was my first um, first supervisor. So when I got to the yeah. sort of five or six month stage. So, so basically I trained and then I had actually been um, at that point five or six years into my little business, Working Solutions, which was uh, basically a consultancy business. And um, and emailed everybody saying, you know, I've trained as a coach, da 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 da. And within a year, uh, I wasn't doing any consultancy at all. I was just doing coaching. So I was massively lucky in my timing. Yeah. Partly because as a former senior civil servant, um, uh, coaching had just become flavour of the month in the civil service. And although, as we as coaches know, it's not important to know anything in particular about the sector in which you coach. Um, I think what we also know is that often the procurers of coaching actually is a safety blanket, comfort blanket, if um, if the person, if the coach basically has a background in the same kind of field. So mm. I suddenly had lots and lots and lots of, of, of senior civil servants as, as clients. Uh, so I was just massively lucky sort of right time right place and I also did some associate work for an outfit that existed then and doesn't now called the National School of Government yes. and was coached on a lot of their leadership and management development programs um, which meant I'd have maybe six at a time sort of five times a year or something you know which gave me a fantastic throughput in terms of building my experience mm. so I really yeah I, I was really blessed in my timing um it was great and I, I I loved coaching and just talking about coaching makes you think remind me why I actually stopped coaching <laughs> because I closed my business three years ago um but it was to make time for writing and yeah. I just knew I was never going to get around to writing if I didn't didn't stop stop with the coaching but there you go. Yeah, it's about what matters in a season, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, I was 20 years as a civil servant. I was 20 years as a as a coach, almost 20 years. Um, so let's see if I've got 20 years as a writer ahead of me. How nice would that be? Yeah. So you're very well known in that coaching space. You're very well known for the internal coaching yes. thing. Yes. So so the internal coaching bit came about because um, I'm very active in the EMCC. I joined the EMCC about three months after I finished my training. And I've always I've always had a real soft spot for it. I mean, at the beginning, you know, it was it just felt like such an amazingly egalitarian organisation. You know, you'd you'd go to the conference and you'd have, you know, David Meganson sitting on one side and, you know, David Clutterbuck sitting on the other and all treating you as if you, you know, also had some experience, which you didn't, uh, well, certainly not at the beginning. Uh, it just seemed, um, yes, wonderfully, wonderfully egalitarian. I've always loved that about the MCC. Uh, I mean, I've no, no reason to suppose it's not the same in the others as well. And I was a member of the Association of Coaching for years. Um, but, the EMCC, I became, I, I got interested in ethics and they then had an ethics committee. We're talking 2006 or seven or eight or something. Um, and I, um, so I joined that partly because I wanted to become more knowledgeable about ethics and coaching. Uh, and that seemed a good way of doing it. 
And off the back of that, we did a little bit of research about whether coaches actually used the ethical code, you know, whether they'd actually read it or whether they had read it when they joined but hadn't actually looked at it for 10 years or or whatever. And it was really interesting because a lot of people fessed up to the fact that they didn't very often look at their um, code of ethics. And off the back of that, um, in thinking about ethical dilemmas, I decided I was then embarking on another master's, on a coaching master's, uh, and I realised it would be great to use EMCC's good offices to reach their members and do some research into ethics. Um, but I also, having, I knew quite a few internal coaches and I wanted to test the hypothesis that basically as an internal coach, you're more likely to encounter ethical dilemmas than you are as an external coach, although obviously as external coaches, we do too, um, simply by virtue of the fact that you're operating within the organisation in which your clients operate. So you've got overlapping networks, you might well have role conflicts, you're just all, you know, you might, confidentiality could be an issue or be perceived as an issue, even if it isn't one, and so forth. And so I did my research into internal coaching and the ethical dilemmas that can arise for internal coaches, and also the extent to which organisations support their internal coaches, because I still think that's often not very well. If I'm honest. Mm. Um, so um, at the end of that research, um, my research supervisor, who was David Lane, because uh, I did my master's with PDF, uh, Professional Development Foundation, um, said, Catherine, did you know that I'm an editor for a coaching series um, for Carnac Books? And I'd like you to turn your research into a book on internal coaching. And no, I hadn't known that he was. Um, and it felt like a, a well, one of those sorts of delightful and daunting, daunting at the same time challenges, you know. Um, I hadn't written a full-length book before, and I thought, well, you know, you have to go for these things. I think my 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 sort of general credo <laughs> has been if an opportunity presents itself that sounds interesting, even though it, it may be time consuming. And so I just just go for it and you know see what happens. Um and so that's what did happen. So I used the MCC. I had 123 internal coaches as part of my research. Um and the book um well, I mean, I'm just very thrilled with the way the way the book's gone, I must say. I mean, as as anybody who's written a book, and a lot of people have, uh, particularly a lot of coaches, um, you know, one, I mean, I think the most exciting thing is if people present you with your book and ask you to sign it. And quite honestly, I mean, to me, that's just the most exciting thing in the world. I absolutely love it. Uh, very affirming. Um but I also love now, sometimes now, you know, one might get an email from someone just saying that they'd read it and they're setting up an internal coaching cohort in their organisation and they found it really helpful or whatever. And it just gives me a massive buzz out of all proportion to the number of copies sold, you know, because it's, it's you know, it's it's sold perfectly well and it has a constant trickle still because there's, there's still a, well, there's still a dearth of um, books about internal coaching. Mm. I mean, my theory is that, um they're too busy they're much too busy to write a book because internal coaches of whom I am a massive fan are you know people with a full-time day job usually exactly so I mean it it's very impressive I think they're a really really special breed actually Mm. and I still do quite a lot of um workshops uh pro bono um on for internal coaches and 
they're just always really lovely people. I mean, well, as we know, coaches are lovely people, aren't they? <laughs> That's what's lovely about, co- about coaching conferences, actually. I love coaching conferences because it's stuffed with coaches and coaches are people that one enjoys spending time with. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway that's how I got into it originally it was simply meeting someone who was training as a coach and I really really liked the sound of it and my goodness I've never regretted it uh, I think it's the most wonderful wonderful profession well I know it's not theoretically you know actually a profession yet but it's getting there mm. Mm, absolutely it's so lovely to be talking to you um, this week Catherine because next week our guest at the coaching inn is joe wright who runs an organization called coaching culture and yes. she's talking about everybody being you know everybody using coaching skills and your your expertise and your kind of speciality over your career has been about these special people who do who do executive coaching internally effectively isn't it it is it absolutely is and you know they have a formal role outside their day job which is coach but a lot of them don't really get recognized for no. it um, I mean I have a bit of a beef about um, you know I think internal coaches do wonderful things for their organizations and I sometimes feel they're not sufficiently appreciated um, and are not often not given enough CPD uh, my particular bugbear is where organisations insist that the external coaches they use um, have a supervisor and sometimes even ask, you know, your supervisor to, you know, send something asserting that, you, yes, you do receive supervision regularly and so on, and then don't provide supervision to their internal coaches. I mean, it's such a double standard. I mean, I just can't believe it. Yeah. Um and also, I think sometimes they treat the external coaches as better, a higher class, and often the internal coaches are actually much more skilled. Well, and often much more experienced. I yeah. mean, there are some internal coaches who have been doing it for 10 to 15 years. Yeah. And compared with an external coach who might only have been operating for three or four years or yeah. something, you know? Um, I mean, to be fair, internal coaches will generally build their experience much more slowly yeah, uh, because they only have maybe two or three at a time. Yeah. Uh, unless they're in learning and development, where it might be quite a large part of their role. Mm. Um, but mostly, yes, I know the whole thing of, you know, profit not being recognised in their own country or whatever the phrase is, is yeah. absolutely so, I think. Um, it Well, in many organisations, so one mustn't tar all organisations with the same brush because, you know, some some do it fantastically well. Um, and, you know, the the... Well, actually, even in some of the big consultancies, the, the, um, there isn't as much money going into internal coaching as there used to be in terms of supporting it. Um, but there are some organisations that really do support their internal coaches properly and give yeah. them yeah, regular supervision and CPD. But, I mean, I'd be quite interested, because you're a supervisor as well, Claire, aren't you? I am. I mean, when people say that, yes, they give their internal coaches supervision... And it turns out to be twice a year, they'll have a full day with CPD in the morning and some some supervision groups in the afternoon. Um, now, I'm not saying that that isn't great development to put aside two whole days a year. But in my book, you know, having always had a supervisor when I was an external coach, that is not that simply isn't supervision. It's a very useful um, development intervention. Um, 
But I don't think that that's really being supervision, do you? I mean, it needs to be regular. Well, I mean, yes. And actually, going back to that little nugget you dropped in about five or ten minutes ago when you said that that you came into this because you wondered whether internal coaches had more ethical dilemmas. Exactly. exactly. Internal coaches have. They, I think I agree with you. Do you know, I had an internal, I had, I, <laughs> I'm doing a twice a year for an organisation. Yes. And, and when I do that, I kind of do a combination of supervision and mentoring in terms yeah. of, of the nuts and bolts of how to make the conversation more effective as well as the dynamics of what's what's going on. But one of them was being released for half a day a week for coaching, which was a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful thing. But only being given two super, supervision sessions a year. You know, it, and yet the I know that the organisation concerned pays out a large amount of money in paying for external coaching for its people. Yes, I bet. And yet here you've got this resource. I know. And this wonderful resource, which, which you know, could wither on the vine if it's not yeah. properly supported. Yeah. One of the things that came out very clearly from the um, from research, I remember, was people saying that you know one one of their problems with being a one of their challenges of being an internal coach was that they didn't actually have they didn't actually have any clients. Yeah. So you know they were they were trained and a lot of money was expended on their training, and then they might be given a client immediately after. But then it, you know, they didn't keep the kettle boiling, and as we know it, the whole, as we know, the whole, use it or lose it piece. Mm. Um, if you don't coach for any length of time, then you lose confidence, you yeah. lose, you get de-skilled, um, and it's just so short-sighted. So, so I think you know, in addition to um, the fact that some organisations sadly don't don't quite offer enough CPD and um, and supervision, it's also they don't pay enough attention sometimes to making sure that their newly minted coaches actually have a decent throughput of coaching clients. Yeah. And they're only going to develop and get experience and get better at what they do and so on if they do. Um, and supervision, you know, is one way. I mean, I remember discussing this with Jeremy Gom. Um, he and I are launching a coaching, uh, a coaching supervision for internal coaches podcast in um, um, a few weeks and we were just talking about whether supervision is still necessary if the internal coaches haven't at that point got a client and we were saying well actually it's in some ways it's even more important because the supervision obviously won't be about client issues that have arisen because they don't currently have a client but it can be about how to stop yourself from being de-skilled how to keep your skills going how to keep your enthusiasm going you know it can be how, how as a coach they are rather than you know how, rather than client issues and yeah, as we know, vision is about a lot more than discussing yeah. client issues yeah yeah and also I don't it doesn't happen so much now but I went through a long quite a long season where I discovered that people who were trained internally in organizations thought they weren't using coaching because they didn't have a client but actually if you really pressurize them a bit they were really able to clearly see how they were using coaching in their everyday work and exactly. some of them were able yeah. to clearly see that they weren't and that we're able to suddenly go, oh, why am I not 
Yeah, absolutely. So, so how can I, how can I use this glorious skill if I'm not in a room with the door shut and calling it a coaching session? Well, there's an excellent point. Absolutely. And when I do my, um, one of the uh, workshops that I run quite regularly is about the, the benefits and the challenges of being, being an internal coach, you know, obviously one of the really big benefits is the double whammy that and this is a benefit particularly for the organization that they're not just getting some good value coaching but they're also developing the coach so that they have another string to their bow in their day job and in their own management and leadership roles Um, so it's a real double whammy and possibly a triple whammy too actually because they may well be using it with you know if they have clients outside the organization if they're a customer facing kind of organization often they'll be using you know the the questioning approach and listening a hell of a lot better than they were and so on um with with customers stroke clients as well so I mean I think it could the ripple effect can be very broad can't it yeah yeah so looking at your your 20 years experience I love your 2020 thing (laughs) Thinking about that, what would be your top three or four tips for internal coaching? Well, one of my big ones, I mean, if we're talking about um, advice or sort of um, learning from other organisations for the benefit of organisations that are thinking of, of, of setting up an internal coaching cohort, one of the things that I think is often missing is um, is actually having a coaching strategy. Um I, when I run, the, I, I've a few times um, run a coaching strategy workshop, and I've never seen people scribbling so much as in that one, because all ones really because it's very very common for internal coaching to be set up in an organisation because there's an enthusiast in L and D who has trained as a coach, and thinks how wonderful it would be if we could make coaching available as another. Part, you know, on our menu, menu, another another part of our L and D offering to employees could be having a coach, and I'm not rubbishing that in any way. I think I, it's great, and they manage to get the money in some way. They pitch it, so they get the money, and they start training some coaches. What I try to encourage organisations to do is actually to think first about why do you want a coaching resource. And what is it intended to do? You know, what difference do you want it to make to the organisation? Because as we know, it's terribly important to the individual who is being coached. But, you know, but it's an organisational tool. It ought to be benefiting the organisation and it ought to be feeding into the people's strategy and then to their business strategy. I mean, it really, really should. And how can you evaluate whether your internal coaching cohort is doing a good job if you haven't actually articulated anywhere what it is you want it to achieve? Yeah. I mean, yes, you can say it's great because now we can offer coaching. We can do happiness sheets afterwards. We can show that 95% of the people who were coached thought it was fab and 98% of them would recommend it to somebody else. And then, you know, and that that's sufficient in terms of evaluation for many organisations. But actually... You know, wouldn't it be great if it was more, um, oh, I don't know, you were setting it up in order to retain middle managers because you were having an outflux of them and have a before mm. and after and see actually if you are beginning to retain them better. Or um, uh, maybe you're going to coach people in the talent pool 
who are BAME and you want to have more senior people and be more ethically diverse throughout your organization. Well, wouldn't that be great if you, you know, if there, if there was a leadership um, program and you allocated each of them an internal coach to, to see whether it actually made a difference to whether people you were managing to grow your own and so on. I mean, there are so many different ways in which one can use coaching. And it's it, it just always feels to me like a massive missed trick. So that's a rather long-winded answer. So the one tip would be, please think about why you're setting it up in the first place and what you want it to achieve. Mm-hmm. And if it's a very broad objective, you know, fine, but at least give some thought to it, as it were. Um, I'm a massive fan of evaluation, I have to say. And, you know, a lot of people think, oh, no, I can't do a return on an investment thing. It's all too complicated, which indeed it is. Um, but there are lots of different levels of evaluation that you can do, and at least to do something. I mean, there are some organisations that don't even track how many coaching sessions are going on. You know, they're mm. not even monitoring, never mind evaluating. Mm. Um, and you think to yourself, this is such a missed trick, you know, because although you may be, you know, uh, quite charismatic and therefore successfully persuade the CEO to give a tranche of money to setting up the internal coaching cohort and so on. You know, A, that person might move on. Um, You know, B, there might come a point where the economy goes belly up and and, and horns are being drawn in and an easy one to cut would be money spent on internal coaching. Well, if you've got no evidence to show that it's made any difference to the organisation, why would a finance director say, oh, yeah, we need to protect that? You know, that's really important. Um, I I just sort of, it, it seems to me crazy that one wouldn't at least do some basic evaluation mm. or maybe put together some case studies of ones that have gone very well or, or, or notice how many how many coaching assignments don't actually finish, you know, which might suggest that actually it's not going so well. You know, I'm not saying one would only evaluate uh, in a you know to show it in a positive light, but it does seem to me, um, yeah, I I think there's a sort of a certain amount of professionalization, if you like, that that is sometimes not there for internal coaching cohorts, and it would be really good if it, if they were, because by and large, external coaches you know do indulge in a bit of evaluation. I mean, I certainly always send stuff afterwards. Uh, and sometimes, you know, might do a 360 before and a 360 after or whatever to see what what might have changed mm-hmm. and so on. Um, so evaluation would be another. I mean, obviously, supervision is a big one for me. Um, uh, I, I don't know a massive amount, although I had to flesh out how much I knew about training of coaches in order to write the book. It's not something I really know about, whereas you know it backwards. So that chapter may seem a bit thin to you, I think. <laughs> in internal coaching the inside story because uh, I don't have any practical experience of training internal coaches I mean I do my workshops but they're really just sharing experience from other internal coaches you know which I have vicariously therefore learned um, because I've done a lot of them now I guess I must have done between 80 and 100 workshops over the last 10 years and you know they've all got between 10 and 20 participants so I suppose I've heard a lot of stories from internal coaches and the challenges that they've encountered and the benefits they feel they get and so Mm. on. Um, But it's all, you know, while I could 
write if, if I wanted to, which I uh, don't because other people do it a great deal better than, than I would, could write on about being an external coach from experience. My internal coaching is, is purely based on other people's experiences. Yeah. Um, and they are, yeah, as I say, they are they are such terrific people. I mean, I I am a great fan. So where are we? Yes, so supervision, yes, having a strategy, evaluating, providing supervision and 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 CPD uh would be my main four. It's the whole thing about um not spoiling a ship for a hapeth of tar, I think. You know, yeah. why give a lot of thought as as they always do to the training side of things. And then not actually making sure that their coaches continue to develop and grow. It just it just feels so short-sighted to me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And our dream has always to be been to, to develop super coaches so that in the organization you have people who can provide some of the mentoring and supervision that would otherwise have been gone for apps externally so that you're reducing the number of external engagements and increasing the capacity in the organization. But yeah. you hit you hit exactly what you described really early on in this conversation, which is that the people who would be able to do that are not released. So mm. they're almost doing it as a second job on top of their other job. And usually at that point, they're very senior Absolutely. and under huge amounts of pressure and it doesn't work. And I, you know, the short sightedness of that is frustrating, isn't it? Because, released mm. those people would do a really brilliant job doing the development of the coaching pool and they would do a bit be doing a brilliant job in their senior role I agree I must say I do think having mentor coaches seems a great idea I mean of experienced internal coaches mentoring less experienced yeah. internal coaches yeah. and I hope a lot of that goes on but I don't hear hear much about it I must admit and what I do hear about is supervisors who you know because organizations aren't terribly keen on call-off contracts that are open-ended understandably they don't really like giving an open-ended contract to a supervisor saying you know and, and as coaches call you for advice whatever you know clock up the hours and tell me at the end yeah. of the month how many how often that's happened and that doesn't seem to happen as far as I can see or very rarely but I do hear quite a lot of supervisors who may external supervisors of internal coaches um, who might um, maybe run groups four times a year or something, but out of the kindness of their hearts, say to the coaches, but, you know, if you've got something that, you know, a dilemma or something that's worrying you that comes up in between, give me a call. And they're yeah. basically doing it for nothing. And that's, yeah. that, that can't be right. Um, but of course, if the coach goes to the head of L&D or whoever's running the coaching cohort, you've then got confidentiality problems yeah. because it's very rare for, in my experience, when I ask internal coaches, for them to say in their contracting conversation that, um, you know, everything that passes within that room will, will be kept confidential, you know, save the caveats that we're all aware of, you know, illegality, criminal activity, um, harm self to others and so on. But they very rarely say, but I might share it with my supervisor. I might share it with the yeah. head of learning and development as well. Mm. So they then are in a difficulty. And the main person who is trained as a supervisor within the organization is someone who is also allocating clients to coaches. Mm. You're in a bit of a bind mm. because quite a lot of coaches only have, you know, internal coaches have only one client or yeah. 
at the most three, but it's yeah. usually one or two or none, depending on how, how good the organisation is at, at keeping the flow going. Um, and that's a, that could be a real issue, actually. And I yeah. suspect that up and down the country, confidentiality is actually being broken. And the coach is going to the head of LMZ and saying, I've got this issue and I'd really like to discuss. And they are discussing it. And the, and the, the, the person they're discussing it does know who you're coaching. Yeah. And actually, and, and, and the client doesn't know that you're discussing it with somebody else. Yeah. I'm it's sure that's not wrong. Yeah. And that's, that's, not, that's not transparent. So yeah. I, I have trouble with that. Yeah. So safety really matters, doesn't it? Mm, so, it does. Catherine, mm. your novel... How much are you willing to discuss it? <laughs> oh, well, I'm a fairly open book. I mean, obviously, I won't be discussing much about the, the details of the plot or anything, as if I do get a pub- uh, an agent, and if I do then get a publisher, then obviously I would like it to come as a surprise to people. But it's it's been just the most wondrous sort of, I suppose it's been three years, really, since I started actually putting pen to paper or fingers to keyboard. Um, and it, it all arose really out of um, out of the original book, actually, Internal Coaching, The Inside Story, because while I was um, doing lots and lots of thinking around ethical dilemmas and so forth, I thought what incredible fun it would be to write a thriller. And I immediately thought of thrillers just because like you, thrillers are what I enjoy reading. <laughs> to write a thriller where the protagonist is a coach who actually doesn't deal with ethical dilemmas very well. So my coach, whose name is Faith, um, does not deal with ethical dilemmas very well to the extent of, I won't say whether she's only contemplating it or whether she goes through with actually sleeping with her client. But anyway, there is certainly, I mean, you obviously know, but the people listening will not. Um, So she's, there are lots of fuzzy lines and boundaries and things that that Faith, unfortunately, steps right over or sort of stumbles right over from time to time. Can I tell you, one of the things that I absolutely loved about it, it was that you invited me into the coaching room where somebody else was the coach. Yeah. And and I loved loved it because it was a thriller. But I also loved it because it made me think about things. Oh, good! From what from being from being inside the room with her. So oh. so because of the nature of the person that she's commissioned to coach. Oh yes, I can say that. So he's a government minister, a newly appointed government minister. Yes, and and seeing how she approached her engagement with him, and seeing how she approached her engagement with with the people around him and thinking what what do I do what would I do yes um it was just or I wouldn't do that or I would do that or I do this but she did that I wonder if that's you know all of that kind of stuff I thought was really it was really fun good because it was like reading a business book without it being a business book Catherine (laughs) not that I would necessarily follow her (laughs) <laughs> well well she's a bit flaky isn't she yeah but but it, it was just a beautiful it was there was a there was some fly on the wall about it that I really liked I'm thrilled good I'm really really pleased I have to say there were one or two things I mean 
some people have said, oh, Catherine, you know, that's obviously you. You know, you love wearing bright colours. Faith loves wearing bright colours. You know, you used to be a civil servant. Faith used to be a civil servant. You know, da 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 da, da. And I think to myself, hang on a moment. She's really, I mean, although I'm massively fond of her as a character, she does take some pretty poor decisions along the <laughs> way. <laughs> she, is de- she is not me, thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but I do remember, um, and I remember taking this to supervision, actually, uh, the whole issue of whether you should have a drink with a client. I mean, it may, may sound, sound quite a minor thing, but actually at the time it didn't feel very minor because I was experimenting with doing group supervision. So I've always had one-to-one supervision, uh, but someone from the Academy of Executive Coaching um, said she was running a supervision group. Would I like to join it? This is, you know... 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. And I said yes. And I I I mentioned the topic that I had a client where I was I was coaching in a, a club at the time. So it was great because they had sort of separate areas which were quite sort of um secluded and made it very easy to coach someone, you know, little kind of alcovey areas and so on. And um and quite often I might coach someone when they'd finished their job. So I, you know, it might be a half past five to half past seven or six to eight or whatever and there might come a point where a waiter would come round and say would you like a glass of wine or something and you know it might be seven or half past seven and the client would say you know might say actually that would be really nice yeah so I took this to supervision and said actually I honestly didn't know whether because I thought that would be quite nice as well and I'm not going to be drunk after a glass of wine on the other hand doesn't feel very professional. And I got a massive pushback from a couple of people in the group who were absolutely horrified that I was even presenting it as a dilemma. Uh, and I thought, oh, gosh. I've... So I think my, you know, my boundaries may be slightly fuzzier because I did, it, to me, it did seem like a dilemma. Would it seem like a dilemma to you? Well, my my philosophy is don't drink and coach. Hmm. Exactly, which is but a good in, one. But in that context, if the place was open for longer, I might accept the drink and then not drink it until we'd finished. Yes, exactly. So there's well, a so there's a number of things there, aren't there? Because so one of them is is around having a drink with them, and there's another dilemma around having a drink inside the coaching session. Exactly, because there's something I, about professionalism, isn't there? Yes, there? which I think is a different question. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then I, there's also the question about, well, it's about proximity and distance, isn't it? And and what's an appropriate proximity and distance? And part of that depends on who it is, and who yeah. you are, and mm-hmm. it depends on a mil- and where you are, and 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 it depends on a million things. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are humans. Absolutely. And and humans having a drink with another human. In some contexts, that's a fine thing. And in other, other contexts, a human having a drink with a human is a really bad idea. <laughs> Absolutely right. And, and, you know, what messages is it giving? And is that the message you want to be giving? And and so on. Um, and I sometimes use this as a... So it, it comes up in blind faith, and she doesn't take very good decisions. But equally, um, you know, sometimes in workshops, and people, as, as, when you sort of embark on the whole idea of an ethical dilemma... 
you know, people think sometimes think, you know, ethicals is sounding like, you know, Aristotle or something. You know, and when you're beginning to just sort of explain what ethical what you mean by ethical dilemmas and so on, you know, it's it's really practical issues, yeah. isn't it? Always. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And I think for me, one of the questions is, and I know that I've I've had a conversation about this in supervision and they were horrified. For me, there's a question about when has the edge gone on the work that we do together? Right. And yet there's still a desire to meet. And for me, that's the moment when it should turn from a coaching conversation to an agreement of meeting for a drink every so often or a coffee or a glass of wine or something. Because you're thinking you might become collusive? Because they they shouldn't be paying me to do the work because there's a there's a the, the connection yes. has lost its I like the word edge it's, yeah it's lost its edge it's it's we're just a bit too friendly we know each other a bit too well mm-hmm. although of course it's they I know them a bit too well because they might not know me that well because I'm still in the coach role and for me I have a choice at that point, whether I choose to meet someone for lunch or have a coffee or have a glass of wine with them at some point in the future. That's my choice and it's their choice. Yes. I know some coaches say that that's not okay. And at that point, the coaching relationship is over. So the whole thing's over. Yeah. For me, I want to be really, really clear that the coaching is over. Yeah. And if we choose to meet every so often, then that's okay yeah, for so me sort of, that's okay you're, you're, you're swapping hats as it were aren't yeah. you just doing yeah. A hat yeah yeah and we're, we're becoming acquaintances but it's a bit of a weird start to an acquaintanceship it's true it's true but I guess it's a, the kind of you can see why people become acquaintances or even friends um simply because of the nature the and intimacy of the relationship because they are sharing often such intimate stuff exactly so accelerates so they don't actually know us particularly well but they are allowing us to know them very well yeah yeah exactly so it's yeah so it's it's a really interesting Mm. an interesting journey so what an amazing conversation Catherine and such good timing (laughs) that that Joe and I will be having a very different conversation in the next podcast around a coaching culture which is coming at this thing from a different place so how do people connect with you find out about your new podcast exactly well it's really I'm doing everything through LinkedIn okay so Catherine Sinjin Brooks with an A in the middle of Catherine because that sometimes stymies people and finding me uh, but I'm the only Catherine Sinjin Brooks on LinkedIn and so it's Perfect. very easy to find me and I'm going to when the podcast gets launched I'm certainly going to put it on there and also if blind faith finds an agent and I'm sort of getting there which is exciting I've had a few requests for the fight for the full manuscript which oh, is wonderful great. So, you know, I'm definitely not there yet, but I'm 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 optimistic. Um, but I will certainly if if um if Blind Faith finds a um a publisher, I will certainly be sharing it on LinkedIn. And I will be sharing it from the rooftops because it's a Aww. it's 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 in my favorite spaces. <laughs> well, I'm I'm just desperately thrilled that you enjoyed it, Claire. <laughs> so Catherine Cinder. I like this, thank you. Thank you for coming to the Coaching Inn. Uh, I'm Claire Pedrick and see you next week, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye.
If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, we'd love you to share the podcast with a friend or leave a comment on social media. And if you'd like to become a regular at The Coaching Inn, you can subscribe on Podbean and all major podcast channels. We look forward to welcoming you next time. You've been listening to The Coaching Inn, 3D Coaching's virtual pub. For more information, check out 3dcoaching.com.